All right, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Uh, we packed you in a little tighter today because we had a screening thing that was going on, a health, health screening thing that was going on in the village hall all yesterday. And then our volunteers who come in to set tables um, couldn't come in late enough after they were all done. So I set up tables with our board of directors last night. So we had a board of directors meeting last night. So um, we, but we didn't set up all the tables, figured that would happen, but just enough for all of you. So we just kind of pack you in a little bit more than normal. Um, just so you know, uh, there's a card that's going to be going around for Dolores Jacobson, one of our organists, our Monday night organist, who is recovering today from hip surgery yesterday. So um, that, that'll be passing around. Yeah, yeah, just keep it going. You sign it and move on. Yeah, don't hold on to it and admire the artwork or anything like that. Yeah, she is in the hospital still. Um, they she won't go home because she lives on her own. They won't, but she'll be in a rehab facility for a few days before. Um, I do not know. Yes, yes. What? She is at the hospital still. She's not at the rehab yet. No, she's not. Yes. Um, I can say a prayer for John. Yeah. Having surgery. Yep. Very good. Um, I have not talked with Dolores, but she came through surgery successfully. I mean, they had to do a lot. So that's a big deal. Um, yeah. Good morning if you're online with us today. So good to have you as well. Um, we're going to be digging into Galatians 1 and 2. You can see at the top of the handout, if you got a handout on the way in, uh, Galatians 1, 13 through 2, 14. Kind of an interesting place to start and stop, but we'll, um, we'll roll with it because that's what the schedule says. So um, I'm assuming that everything Pastor Dan covered with you between verses 6 and 12 was accurate. <laughs> I, I, I just trust that. <laughs> I know I can't trust him, but, well, maybe I'll just I'll contradict everything he said last week then. <laughs> oh, no, you were, oh, no. Yeah, he's uh, he's on the beach with a pina colada, I'm sure. So. <laughs> oh, man. Well, the word didn't get out that he was on the beach. Yeah. Um. Well, let's get started, shall we? We're going to pray for John. We're, uh, where'd she go? Oh, okay. Joyce is over there. Um, pray for John and Dolores and anything else that's going on with everybody, right? And uh, we pray that God will bless us in our time in the Word this morning. Let's pray. Good morning, Lord. Uh, thank you so very much for this new day. Thank you for the sunshine and uh, fair weather. Thank you for summertime here in Wisconsin. So beautiful. Um, thank you for your word, which continues to feed us and give us wisdom and direction in life. We pray that your Holy Spirit would fill this room so that we would be able to understand the words that you have spoken through Paul. Help us to understand the historical context of what's going on here and what you would have us learn for our lives too. 
Um, we pray for John, uh, who's going to be having surgery. Uh, we, we pray for Dolores, who is recovering from surgery, and all those who are uh, feeling ill or um, who are recovering or facing certain health challenges. We pray for everyone who's traveling, including Pastor Dan and his family, and uh, pray that it be relaxing as they are away. And Lord, we, we, uh, we give you our time. We trust that you will use this for your glory and the building up of your church. And we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so um, I, at the top of your handout, gave you a little bit of a, just kind of a, uh, what, what do you call it, sort of mile markers, right? And you've seen this before. We had this a couple weeks ago. We had this the very first week when we were doing the introduction lesson with Pastor Dan, uh, introducing Galatians. We, um, we, we can see just in the, as you read through Galatians, there are basically three different sections, the personal section, the doctrinal section, and the practical section. So we're in that first column, that personal side, which carries over verses or chapters one and two. And we're going to bridge both of those, chapter one and two. So Paul is having to defend his authority as an apostle. He is having to defend his gospel, which he's preaching in Jesus Christ. And, um, and then his interaction with the apostles in chapter two, which we'll see um, as we move along. So you almost, you could circle that, that first of the three sections and say, this is where we are today, right? I almost did that. I almost just put it on red or in red on the handout, but decided I didn't need to do that for you. All right. So let's read. I'm going to actually back up to verse 11. We're actually supposed to do 13 through verse 14 of uh, chapter two, but I'm going to back up two verses and start with verse 11. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. But I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing you is no lie. Later, I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the gospel he once tried to destroy. And they 
praised God because of me. Fourteen years later, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a, re to a revelation and set before them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. But I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. As for those who seem to be important, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God is not judged by external appearance. Those men added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they saw that I, that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. For God, who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Peter, and John, those reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile, not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? All right. I'm sure there are all kinds of questions that you have now. What did I just read? <laughs> What's going on here? Uh, let me start. There, there's actually not something I wasn't really planning on going into much detail about this, but there, I'm realizing as I'm reading it now that there are all kinds of place names like Judea and Arabia and Cilicia and, and all this. So um, where are they? There's a map on the back side of your handout on the second page. I know it's very small. It's not intended for you to be able to read all the words on there, but just get an idea. This is the eastern side of the Mediterranean Sea. See where you can actually make out Mediterranean Sea right in the middle of the blue? Okay, so if, you were go, if, if we were to extend the map to the left and kind of open it up there and maybe, maybe uncover that part of the map, you would see the boot of Italy farther to the west there. Um, what you see to the far left of the map, the upper left corner, is Greece. And the, then, so there's Greece and then the Aegean Sea. And then what is today Turkey, what was known as Asia Minor in those days. And on the far right side, um, along the right edge, is Syria, current day Jordan, uh, uh, Lebanon, excuse me. So Syria and Lebanon. And then you can see it 
some small names, what you maybe you can't read it, but it says Caesarea um, and Jerusalem are two of the words that are written there. Okay, so where the, the bottom word there, Jerusalem, is pointing to the city of Jerusalem. You can kind of follow the black line there. And that's right, well, right, not, not exactly next to it. It's 20 miles away, but it's really close to the Dead Sea. So the Dead Sea is a little blue kind of oblong dot there on the far right. So that's where Israel is. So Jerusalem, Israel, that, that small little area right there is Israel. When Paul talks about going to Arabia, he's talking about the lower right corner of that map. It's a desert area south of Israel, sort of between Israel all the way through the Sinai Peninsula over toward Egypt. Um, and even on the east side of the Dead Sea, all that is the Arabian Desert. So when Paul's talking about going to Arabia, he's going out into... Now, the Bible uses the word wilderness, but wilderness is usually desert places. We think of wilderness like you go out west into the big forest areas of the, the west, mountains and stuff like that. But in biblical terms, wilderness is the desert. So Paul went out to Arabia to the wilderness, to the, to the desert. We're going to talk about that here in a bit. Um, when he's talking about Syria and Cilicia, so Syria, you can see, it's, um, I don't know if you can read it, but it is right there, right? Sort of the upper, uh, right, upper right corner of the map. There's a dot there that says next to it, Antioch. That's Syrian Antioch. There are actually two Antioch cities. One is Syrian, uh, yeah, Syrian Antioch, and the other is Pisidian Antioch, which is in Turkey present-day Turkey or Asia Minor back then. Um, and Cilicia is up in Asia Minor also. So he's talking about when he went to Syria and Cilicia, he started in Antioch. His first missionary journey actually started in Antioch, and they sent Paul out to preach the gospel. And he went into the area of Turkey, the southern part of Turkey today, which is known as Asia Minor in biblical times. Okay? So when he's talking here, and this is in verse uh, chapter 1, verse 21, when he says, later I went to Syria and Cilicia, he's talking about his first missionary journey. So after his conversion, he had spent time in Arabia, and then he went on his first missionary journey. And then after years, actually, his 14 years, he went to Jerusalem, right? And again, well, he had gone once, but now he goes again, okay? So that helped to sort of map out some of the places that we're talking about. Oh, and there's one other word, um, Judea. If, if we were to zoom in on the map of Israel, there are three basic zones in Israel. And Israel is like, is a tall, narrow country, okay? So you might think of it as a tall and narrow in the north is Galilee. In the middle is Samaria. And in the south is Judea. So way back in Old Testament times, when there was a division in the kingdoms of Israel, 
and 10 tribes went with the north and two tribes went with the south. The southern kingdom was known as Judah and the northern Israel. So that, that name Judah kind of stuck and it was Judea in the south. So, um, and then as that progressed, there was the Samaritans that were settled in the middle part of that when the people were coming back from exile in Babylon. Anyway, lots of history there. But Judea is the southern part of Israel, which includes Jerusalem and Bethlehem, uh, the Dead Sea, Jericho, um, Hebron, um, Beersheba, some of those biblical names that you might think of, those are all in the southern Judea section of, uh, of Israel. All right. So when Paul says in Galatians 1.22, I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea because Paul didn't spend time in Judea. He wasn't in Jerusalem in that surrounding area. He was up north in Syria and in Asia Minor. Get it? All right. Questions. I've read a bunch of stuff here and I shared some map things with you, but yeah, what questions do you have, Ken? Start us off. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So when these people traveled in biblical times, they didn't just get on a jet plane or a black helicopter, you know, it's like they, they walked most of this. Yeah. Sometimes they might have a camel or a donkey or something like that, but usually not. They walked a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was, um, much more than we're accustomed to. Yeah. I, I live like a mile from here. It take, well, not even. It takes me three minutes if I drive from the parking lot and hit the green light at uh, Mead Street. And, uh, it takes me three minutes to get home. And I, I probably should just walk that way more often than I do. But yeah. And I just think, you know, you walk out there and this time of day when it's uh, 80 degrees outside and you get home and you're like, you know, they were doing this all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, when, interestingly, when Joseph and Mary traveled from Nazareth in Galilee in the north of Israel to Bethlehem, which is in Judea in the south, they, uh, they had to go many days of travel, uh, probably took them a week or two to travel between the two, especially in her condition, but they usually didn't travel just straight between. So Nazareth is here and Jerusalem is here. They didn't just travel straight along the mountain ridges between one and the other. They went to the east, down the Jordan River Valley, and then up a big incline to Jerusalem or Bethlehem because they didn't want to go through Samaria. That was the custom of the day. So, yeah, so it took extra time. That that was not unusual. Uh, I, you know what? I had to look that up. I don't know that by heart. I'm sh I should just memorize the distance, yeah, but I don't remember. It's um, 
Anyone want to Google distance between Nazareth and Bethlehem? Yeah, just let us know. <laughs> yeah. Um, Todd is asking the question, is En Gedi a right or left turn from Jericho? <laughs> Depends on which way you're traveling, Todd. You're funny. <laughs> yeah. Uh, love it. So, um, yeah, it's a reminder to anybody who's online, if you want to... Um, participate with us. Um, all of a sudden, I'm getting something on my screen. I don't want on my screen. Go away. Go away. All right. Um, sorry for the distraction. Uh, other questions about, yeah, I thought I saw a hand over here. Sue, did you look it up? 150 kilometers. Yeah, what's 150 kilometers? How many miles? By car. Yeah. Yeah. Two hours by car. So you think about how long would it take you to walk from here to Milwaukee or Racine? It says about 19 miles. Yeah. So about, yeah. Think about from here to Racine. <laughs> about that far. Um, you probably walk it in a few days. But. Well, if you walk 10 miles a day, it would still take nine days. If you, if you walk 10 miles a day, it would take you nine days, right? Right. And if you're pregnant, yeah. So a couple weeks, like I said, yeah. Good call. All right. Other questions? Yes, Kathy. It seems to me as we were reading over the course of the book of David that Paul seems to try to establish the question is Jesus. Oh, so, uh, yeah. It, so the question, it seems, or the statement is, it seems like from reading today, Paul is trying to establish a sort of independence from everybody else, right? Um, that, that's actually a very astute point. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're picking up on something that is very intentional by Paul. Why is he trying to separate himself from the apostles in Jerusalem? Why is he doing that? Because he's considered the apostles of Gentiles. Okay. Maybe that's part of it, Marge. The Gentiles don't have to follow all the Jewish laws. Then maybe that's part of it. Okay, I want to go back to verse 11 and 12. This is why I started by backing up a couple verses from our assigned reading today. Um, because, and, and this is really the start of point A on your handout. The Christian Judaizers who opposed Paul tended to dis dismiss his teaching on two counts. Uh, Paul's gospel, that they had a challenge with what he was preaching, and Paul's authority. Now, Paul hints at two-part defense here in these two verses, right? So he says, I want you to know that the gospel I preached is not something made up by men. So this, Kathy, is getting kind of at the point that you're making. He's trying to establish independence so that no one could say, well, this is just what you heard from others. You weren't an eyewitness. And Paul is saying, no, no, no. I didn't receive it from men. Peter didn't tell it to me. John didn't tell it to me. No, I heard it from the Lord. And so... 
I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. And so the reason why he's trying to uh, insist on this, and, and, and this goes on even when he's saying, um, when God called me, when he, when he was pleased to reveal his son to me, um, I did not consult any man, right? This is verse 16. Then 17, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. Well, not, why not? You know, doesn't Paul be connected with the Christian church? I don't think he has a problem with being connected with the Christian church. But here in Galatians, he's trying to make the point that the gospel he's preaching is, uh, is not something that is made up by people. But it's... Some, in fact, this this is kind of his point in this uh, paragraph between verses 13 and 17, when, when he says, um, you know, how intensely I persecuted the church of God, tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Why is he going into his pedigree here? Why is he making, why is he emphasizing how zealous he was and he's talked about this in philippians chapter 3 also in philippians 3 he goes in and say you know I, I i'm sort of a jew of jews a pharisee of pharisees i was uh, i was born circumcised on the eighth day i was on the tribe of benjamin i was a pharisee and even a zealous one at that and so why is he going into this pedigree dennis Well, yeah, but why is he going into that history? Why, why? So, yes, Stephen was he was there when Stephen was stoned. Saul, right, Paul was there, um, giving approval to it all. But why is he emphasizing that? How intensely I persecuted the church. How? Uh, so, uh, I had this on the the sheet here, um, the very top of the second page, very top of the second page. This, this is the, the statement I make on the, on the handout. Paul's background as a persecutor and destroyer of the church is a strong indication that his gospel did not have its origin in men. How so? Why am I saying that? Why am I saying that this is a strong indicator it wasn't made up by men? He was out to destroy it, yes. Keep going with that thought. Yeah, there's a sudden reversal, of, of course, yes, uh, which itself kind of takes a miracle, right? If you, it, Like if someone is so dedicated to destroying the church, why all of a sudden the 180? And now from intensely persecuting the church to intensely defending and expanding the church. Yes, that's a miracle, but let's, let's just say this. If you're going to make up a religion, let's say you just made up a quote-unquote gospel, good news, would you start with somebody who is destroying the church? It's sort of like, you know, this is the same, same principle that applies to the apostles whom Jesus called. Peter, James, John, Matthew, all the rest, you know. 
in the gospels already they're like wait these these guys are just fishermen and then a tax collector and a bunch of misfits and then in the book of acts it says when they realized that these were unschooled ordinary men they were amazed that they had been in the presence of Jesus. They're, the fact that they were the least likely to be chosen was itself a witness. Just like, um, remember when, uh, when Samuel went to Jesse because God said, you all need to go to Bethlehem to this man named Jesse, and I want you to anoint his son as king over Israel to replace Saul. What did, what did Samuel do? He said, Jesse, line up all your sons. One of them is going to be king. So you got the tallest, right? You just kind of set him up in, in uh, height order, in age order. And uh, you, got, you got the oldest. Nope, that's not him. Look at the next one. Nope, that's not him. Like the next one, nope, that's not him. All the way down. And no, none of the sons that are out there are the one. Because God keeps saying, nope, that's not him. Nope, that's not him. And Samuel says to Jesse, is this all your sons? No, there's still one more, but he's out in the field. He's the youngest. He's the runt. Um, you surely don't want him. No, no, call him. Call him in from the field. So the youngest... And it says that he was still ruddy. He was a ruddy young, you know what that means? He's reddish. You know how teen boys have like this ruddy, reddish cheek kind of look? Yeah, he was still a teenager. He was, he was a kid. And um, he was made king of Israel. He was the least likely, right? He's the one that made no sense. But why is he the one called? So this, Paul says this in First uh, uh, Corinthians chapter 2. He says, when I came to you, I didn't come to you with eloquent speech or with great wisdom. So that your faith might not be based on man's strength, but on God's power. This is a consistent theme all over the Bible. Where God would take the least likely so that. You know, the testimony to the world is, well, that makes no sense whatsoever. Like the, the first king of Israel was Saul. And of Saul, it said he was a head taller than everyone else. I mean, he was, he's like the Green Beret or Navy SEAL type who was just big and strong and masculine. And like, of course, he's going to be king. And except he was a lousy king. And so, who was the one that God chose? The little kid who threw a rock with a sling and, and killed Goliath. Anyone not get this card yet? Up here in the front? All right. So, is it making sense? Why, why is Paul making a big deal about his history, where he's been? Because... He wants it to be emphasized that the gospel he's preaching is not something he made up, not something anybody else made up. It is from God. 
in line with all the other scriptures and all the other testimony of the stories of God working with the least expected people. All right? Questions about that? Statements or comments about that? All right. Um, flip back to the first page of your handout. And I want to talk about the, the, the defense of the gospel. So you've heard us talking about this over the last couple of weeks where um, the, the gospel that Paul's preaching is being challenged by people who, he talked about this in uh, chapter two, people who were a part of the circumcision group. Who are these people? Judaizers. Who are Judaizers? They're, yeah, they're Christians, but they are insisting that anybody who is not a Jewish Christian have to submit themselves to all the regulations of the Jews in order to be a true Christian circumcision and all the food laws, you know, the dietary laws, kosher laws, uh, and, and so forth. And so they were insisting on that. Paul is making the argument that if, if you insist that you have to follow all those Old Testament regulations, which he doesn't use the word obsolete, but the writer of the book of Hebrews uses the word obsolete. Those are laws that are now obsolete. If you make people follow those laws, you are enslaving them again. And that's what he, this is the point that he makes in um, verse 4, Galatians 2, verse 4, right? This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ and to make us slaves, that's not talking about like trying to put them in chains and drag them around and make them do whatever they wanted. He's talking about being enslaved again to the regulation of the law. Well, we've been set free from the regulation of the law. No one is made righteous in God's sight by observing the law. Rather, we're made righteous by faith, by God's grace. Um. So, so these Judaizers are going around and they're challenging Paul's teaching. What is the problem they have with Paul's teaching? Besides the fact that they're not, you know, he's telling people they don't have to follow all these rules and such. Like, how, how would you describe that? What's, what is their challenge with this? Yeah, it's not so much that he's making it by himself, although that's true. I mean, that they are saying that as an accusation, but there's something behind that. There's something. Uh, uh, they, so they thought they were the true Christians. Okay. And the others were just just Gentiles. Yeah. Um, that's partly true. Yeah. Do you do you know the um, do you know the acronym or the uh, is it the right word the acronym Tinstoffel? Oh yeah, of course. 
Tenstoppel, you'll know it exactly as soon as I say it, though. Tenstoppel. There is no such thing as a free lunch. <laughs> Get it? Right. So it's almost like, well, wait a second. You're making this way too free. Paul's preaching this gospel of grace and freedom. And you don't have to do anything for this? How can this be? Because the, the Jewish people have grown up under such a legalism and the expectation. And, the, you know, Paul's talking about his zealousness and everything else. So the Judaizers challenged him. You know, we sort of think about this as, you know, these are like coming fisticuffs almost. Like they're really challenging Paul. And they're not yet. In Philippians later, Philippians, Paul calls them dogs and mutilators of the flesh. So he gets much more intense, not quite that in Galatians. Um, but there's an opposition that's happening there. And Paul is, he's pushing back. They're pushing back on him. And they're trying to convince people. So he's preaching the gospel and they're kind of coming behind and saying, no, it's really not that free. You, you have to follow certain regulations. Paul is kind of off his rocker and he's, you know, he's not telling you the full truth, but Paul's pushing back on them and saying, no, no, it really is this free. It really is total grace. But that's the, that's the challenge the Judaizers are, are having with Paul's gospel. Well, how, and that's why they're saying, well, you're just making this up. But he's saying, I didn't make this up. It came as revelation to me. Now, along this line, I want to, um, uh, find the, the right verse here. Verse 17, 16 and 17, chapter 1, 16 and 17. We, we've touched on this briefly, but, uh, Starting verse 15, when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. But I went immediately into Arabia. Why? This is the question right in the middle of the second page. What was the purpose of Paul's times in Arabia? Kathy? To reflect on what happened to him. So if you remember in Acts chapter 9, Paul was dragging people out of churches and uh, taking them to uh, the authorities as if they're enemies of the state to have them arrested and jailed and some of them killed because of the Christian faith. So as a, as a persecutor, he's doing that. But then as he's on his way to Damascus to find people who belong to the way and to bring them to the authorities. And uh, along the way, Christ, the risen Christ, shows up, blinds him for a few days, right? And then... Uh, and it commissions him to be his apostle, right? So, Kathy, what you're saying is after that, after he's there in Damascus, then he hightails it to Arabia to reflect on all this. I think it's partially true. 
partially to reflect on what just happened to him. What else, Marge? I don't know. I thought I heard a shot. You thought you heard. <laughs> Oh, that he when he was in Arabia, he was being taught directly by Jesus. That is possible. You um, can't totally dismiss that. I have not heard that theory before, um, but it's not far from what I'm getting at. A wilderness experience? Well, maybe. But I think the wilderness experience kind of goes to the meditation thing. You get away from everything. You're able to meditate. But I think he's not just meditating on what just happened to him. He's a Pharisee, right? He has been trained in reading the scriptures. And I think he spent three years in Arabia reflecting on the scriptures in light of Christ. And reading and and thinking about the memorized scriptures that he had already, right, stored away in his mind, and realizing all of these scriptures are pointing to Christ, and I was blinded to it before. Now Christ is risen. He says, stop persecuting me. I'm going to send you to the Gentiles to preach the gospel. And he's got, okay, whoa, let's see here. Um, so he spends the next three years just reflecting on all the scriptures that pointed to Jesus. Now, maybe Jesus is right there, right? In the flesh, risen and directly preaching or teaching Paul. Um, not necessarily because, you know, he's ascended to heaven at this point. But um, however that worked, you know, that he was... Paul was searching the scriptures and now reading them in a new light. Yeah, March. The Holy Spirit was definitely doing that. Yeah, absolutely. No question about that one. Anytime that you're in the word and, and it points to Christ, that's the Holy Spirit working. Absolutely. I thought I saw a hand over here a second ago. No? All right. Marty? What scriptures was he studying? The Old Testament scriptures. Yeah, so you would, it would that would include Genesis through Malachi. And where did he get them from? Well, as a Pharisee, he probably had most of it memorized, if not all of it. Yeah, you go, <laughs> I have a hard time memorizing one verse. He's like memorized two thirds of our Bible. Yeah. Uh, Genesis to Malachi, no question. Yeah, those who were Pharisees and teachers of the law, the scribes, they memorized, if not just full sections, the entire. They, they, in fact, they're not just memorizing it. Uh, in in their training, it would not be uncommon for the rabbi teaching them to expect them to say, "Okay, what is the." Uh, what is the 500th word of the book of Exodus? There would be certain mile markers, right? They would be able to say, well, um, this is the 100th word and this is the 200th word. And so they just know this. And in the Hebrew, of course, not in English. <laughs> but yeah, they, they would be able, if, if they were questioned, they would 
be able to give you the word. They didn't have smartphones and computers and telephones and TVs that were a distraction to them. Um, our brains just, I think, don't have the capacity nowadays that they did back then. And we think we're so much more sophisticated. Yeah. I think we're devolving, not evolving, just quite honestly. <laughs> yeah. And so, so they, anyway, they, that's where the scriptures that he had, he didn't, he most likely when he went to Arabia was not carrying with him uh, because these were all on scrolls, you know, and they were very expensive to have your own copy of a scroll. So you would only have one in a synagogue. You didn't have one in your private home. Uh, like having the church's copy of the Bible that you reference, and that's the only one you have. So Paul was just searching the scriptures as he knew them from memory, Marty. That's what he's, yeah, all the Old Testament. That was the scriptures. Anytime the New Testament talks about the scriptures, it's really referring to literally the writings. And it's the Old Testament writings. Richard? Do modern Jews, especially, you know, you would think about the Orthodox or ultra-Orthodox Hasidic Jews that would, um, probably not to the same degree, but yes, they have whole chapters and books memorized of the scriptures. Yeah. Yep. Should that, that, I think that should be an expectation of every pastor you have in your church. We have the whole Bible memorized. I would be immediately disqualified. Sad to say. I have I have scripture memorized, but not that much of it. Yeah. Yeah, I had a professor like that. Dennis talking about having a professor at the seminary who had the whole book, whole Bible memorized. Um, I I had a guy who was a professor of mine. Um, he would, I, I know he had whole books of the Bible memorized in English for sure. And, um, and he would be able to say something like, well, now that's that word in Hebrew. That's the same word that's over here in Hebrew and a whole other book altogether. Like, oh my goodness. So I know he had he had it memorized in English, partly in Hebrew and partly in Greek in the New Testament too. So it was, just, it was un, unbelievable, phenomenal. This is a, that is a brilliant mind that can do that. I know people who know like 12 languages, you know, it's the same kind of mind that just retains information very easily. I don't feel that's my gift. Okay. That's my excuse. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we're gifted in different ways. Yeah. Um, other comments or questions on this? Where are we even? My goodness. I, sometimes I wonder why I even put together a handout because we certainly don't follow it. 
<laughs> and I'm, I apologize for anyone who's trying to follow along with the handout. It, you were just all over the place. Um, right before that question about what was the purpose of Paul's time in Arabia, um, right ahead of that, it says, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem. You see that? So, um, la, 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 la. oh, spent time in Arabia. And then verse 18, it says, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him. This would be uh, a visit that Paul made in Acts chapter 9. Now, when you go to Acts chapter 9, if you need to know where that is in the, you look at the table of contents, but uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Acts chapter 9. Just it's this is fascinating. He must have been because uh, all lefties are very, very bright. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so starting at verse uh, end of the second part of verse 19. So this is after Paul has been blind and he's taken by the hand to Damascus because he couldn't see. And Paul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. Now I'm in Acts 9.20. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on, his, on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. Now, this is what I want you to notice. Verse 23. After many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him. But, Paul, but Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. Now, wait, wait a second. In Galatians chapter 9, or Galatians chapter 1, it says that he didn't go to Jerusalem and even says, I testify this is not a lie. Right, He did not go to Jerusalem, but after three years, he went to Jerusalem. Is this contradicting Acts chapter 9? It sounds like it, but the Bible doesn't contradict itself, right? How could this be? After many days is an interesting expression. Many days is three full years. Yeah. I mean, we use, after many days, we, we just think, yeah, maybe a couple weeks or something, you know? No, he means like, well, we wouldn't say this. We, we wouldn't say after many days, after a few months. No, we would say after three years. But not what Luke is writing in Acts, after many many days. There's many days. He continued to grow in his understanding of Jesus. And then he went up. And when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were afraid of him. Right. So he actually, he says this in Galatians chapter one, I met with Peter 
And the only other one I saw was James. They're the only ones who would be willing to even see him at that time. Right. Um, and then, so go back to Galatians 1. So I saw none of the others, only James, the, the Lord's brother. I sure eat before God. I'm not lying to you. Later, later, <laughs> I went to Syria and Cilicia. This is when he had gone back to Antioch. Uh, Antioch, where the church was growing and where the book of Acts tells us that this was the first place that um, the people of the way were known as Christians in Antioch. So there's a gathering church, a growing church in Antioch, and they send Paul to Asia Minor to preach the gospel. Now, Paul, as he's going, each town, he goes to the synagogue and he tries to preach to them, but they say, away with you, heathen. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? This Jesus risen from the dead. And they don't want to hear it. Sometimes they even want to stone him or chase him out of town or whatever. And so after a while, he stops even going to the synagogues and just preaches to the Gentiles. But Paul starts by trying to preach to the Jews. They don't want to hear it, so he goes to the Gentiles. And that's where he's in Syria and Cilicia. And after then his first missionary journey, uh, he's spending many time, much time there. He says, 14 years later, I went up again to Jerusalem. This is after he's already gone on his missionary journey with Barnabas and started to establish and plant church across Asia Minor. But what's the question that arises? And this actually happens in Acts 15. So if you went back to Acts 15, after... Uh, <clears throat> after Paul's first missionary journey. And, uh, to Cyprus and Pisidian Antioch and Iconium and Lystra and Derbe, returns to Antioch in Syria. And then verse 15, or chapter 15, excuse me, in the book of Acts, some men came from Judea to Antioch and we're teaching the brothers, unless you're circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved, right? So here's the Judaizers who are stirring things up. And Paul's like, whoa, 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 wait a second. We're preaching to all these Gentiles and they're coming to faith in Jesus, not because they're circumcised, but they're, you know, they're being baptized in, in Christ. Uh, what's wrong with that? And so the in Acts 15 is sort of a, a significant benchmark in the history of the Christian church, in the early, early church. This is happening something like uh, 17 years after, after Christ's resurrection. What's happening in Acts 15? See the heading there is the Council of Jerusalem. So Paul has a little mini debate with the, with the apostles there in Jerusalem. This is what's happening, you know, this 14 years later, I went up to Jerusalem again. That's what he's talking about in Galatians chapter 2. There's a, a debate going on here. And the, the, the apostles, 
Peter and James and the others who are still gathered in Jerusalem as the, the cornerstone of the Christian church, they, they huddle up together and they're saying, okay, what is the requirement? Because here we've insisted on, on people to be, in order to be saved, they have to go through the custom of circumcision. They follow dietary laws and everything else. But now this Paul has come in and he's telling me he had this experience of the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. And, and then he's preaching to the Gentiles and they're coming to faith in Christ and without circumcision. And so they debate this for a little bit. And then Acts, in Acts 15, the decision is made by the early church. That, no, they don't have to go through circumcision. They don't have to follow the, the food laws. They just have to abstain from sexual immorality and food sacrifice to idols. And other than that, we're not going to give you any law. They write a letter written by Jesus' brother, James. They write a letter and give a copy of it to Paul and Barnabas. And they say, now take this letter with you. It has the stamp of approval, the authority of the apostles in Jerusalem, the eyewitnesses of Jesus. And it says, you don't have to be circumcised. And now he goes on a second missionary journey. And then later his third missionary journey, preaching Jesus, having this letter of authority from the apostles. Interesting, right? So look at Galatians, go back to Galatians chapter 2. It says, um, uh, start verse 8. For God, who is at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in the in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles, James, Peter, and John, those reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. Oh, that's a big deal. They gave him the right hand of fellowship. That means they shook hands and they said, we're brothers. Even Barnabas and... Um, uh, who's the other one with him when he came? It says that he was not, even he was not circumcised. Uh, Titus, yeah. Uh, so Barnabas, Titus. Titus wasn't circumcised, right? But he gave, they were given the right hand of fellowship and said, we are brothers. We are in the same church. We'll have, uh, in terms of today, altering pulpit fellowship. <laughs> we'll join together as, as, as Christians. And then they were sent out, right? Hey, we're going to preach to the Jews. You preach to the Gentiles. Awesome. And they gave him their blessing. Now there's this conflict with Peter a little bit later. But um, for now, uh, in this, this all lines, chapter 2 up through about verse 10, aligns with Acts chapter 15. What was happening, what Luke tells us about in Acts 15. That's what Paul is talking about right here. So if you wanted to... Read through Acts 15 and read Galatians 2, 1 to 10. You'd start to see some very, you know, the similar things going on there. Yeah, March? Are 
are there Judaizers among the Jewish Christians today? I don't know. Uh, I'm sure there probably are. We had a guy who was here years ago and, and shared um, Jews for Jesus. Um, and he was talking about how he generally does not eat pork, but he's okay with it. Like sometimes if that's what's, if that's what's served, he'll eat it. You know, well, you don't, if you're following the dietary laws, you don't eat pork, right? If you're following kosher law. So he was one that said, you know, I personally choose to, you know, but not strictly observing this, this, this. So there, I think there's the general kind of feeling. There's some that are going to be much more strict about it, but others who are, you know, understand the freedom that we have in Christ, that you don't, you're not obligated to those laws. So. Other questions or comments? Anybody online? I'm seeing no questions there. Awesome. This time flew by. I don't know if it felt like that for you, but I felt like we just spent half an hour on this. Wow. Okay. Well, have a great day, everybody. God bless you. Great to have you with us for, for a Bible study today.